0: the sports career podcast episode 443 the benefits of creative thinking when working in the football industry Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, particularly in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Dan Wood. Dan is an entrepreneur, sports educator, and the co-founder and head of partnerships at the World Freestyle Football Association, where he's worked with social impact and education through sport, with experience with agencies, brands, charities, and startups, and work across six continents around the world. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Dan as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Dan will share his football career journey and explain to you the benefits of creative thinking when working in the football industry. Have a listen and enjoy. Dan it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show please you share to listeners your sports career journey when did it all start? Thanks Ed it's a pleasure to be here
1: wow when did it I love I love reminiscing um so for me I started working in sport from a young age I knew literally from the age of 13 14 that I wanted to work in sport from a entrepreneurial family background so um that was my first kind of thinking, and my first job was actually in a sports retailer at the age of 15 and 16, uh, part-time sales staff. Basically, I was I was on the front line talking about the technology of the latest running shoes and football boots, and that exposed me straight up. I mean, at that age, I was playing lots of sport, tennis and football mainly, um, at a decent level, but I was never interested in playing professionally. Genuinely, I was just enjoying the fun of it, and, uh, and then I saw the brands and the product i was like wow sport this industry is cool i want to i want to le- learn more and immerse myself in this
0: yeah i want to just dig into this because you said like very early age you got into sales reflecting what did you learn from those experiences because everybody has their own perspective of sales so i'm just curious of what you learned at an early age from a sales perspective
1: people simple as that just adaptation to people different the, the unknowns about one day to the next the exact same person coming in one week and then the next week with a totally different mindset and and to see and feel and understand that and draw empathy from that at such a young age I think was definitely a big trigger for me to to take on and realize um but yeah just understand how to talk to people relate to people um in so many different walks of life and then seeing the common denominator of, of sport and particularly football was just amazing you know it just united everyone and you could talk about anything you could lighten an atmosphere easily you could get an intense conversation going if you needed to um it was yeah a great experience
0: we talk in a lot more detail from the entrepreneurial side of things what you're currently doing but relating to your family you said it's very entrepreneurial could you go in a bit more depth because I, i'm a big believer there's always patterns in our behavior and i'm just curious of which parents had that entrepreneurial, should we say, components which made you go that pathway as well at an early age?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so my father has, has basically worked for himself since he was early twenties for sure. Um, he actually created a merchandise company back then, back in the seventies, um, and actually was the first merchandise stall owner at Wembley Stadium for the Rolling Stones um, back in the in in that in those days so yeah he set up that and was running merchandise for all the rock bands during the 70s and that's where my mother met him because she was working uh with with him at that time so yeah you know improvisation literally come up with an idea one day go with it the next um learn from mistakes nothing's predictable all of that was kind of my everyday growing up
0: (laughs) i'm gonna put you on the spot what's one trait from your father that's rubbed off to you from that entrepreneurial side of things Reflecting.
1: There is always a way. It's a line. It's a, it's a line. And, and it's a, it's the one one of the main things that I always instill with everyone is, is that optimism, but it's not false optimism. It genuinely is the understanding that there is always a solution to a problem. Um, And sometimes it takes longer than others. But yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that he, he passed on to me.
0: Oh, you opened a can of worms here already. What do you mean with fake optimism? Could you just paint the picture to the listener what you mean in a bit more depth? So I I get a lot from a lot
1: of close friends of mine, to be honest, because I'm annoyingly eternally optimistic. (laughs) So like everything is always like, well, well, don't worry, you know, let's let's work on a solution or, or I get very excited about, you know, what's coming next. So that can be perceived as fake optimism when it's continuous, right? So people see that as like, Oh, right, it's just Dan being positive again. Um, but but when you live through so much of it and you realize that the benefits of portraying optimism and what you therefore attract as well, it's there's nothing fake about it in in my opinion. But yeah, it's more what other people think is is potentially like, oh, this is this can't be real. Why why are you always so optimistic?
0: Would you also say it leads to having that open mindset as well? Definitely
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's, it's no, there's no one thing that can be interdependent um so open mindsets though that you know that's that's not eternal you know one day to the next again so many factors around us so many pressures in every pressures in everyday life that it's easy to close our mindset quite quickly um especially if it's you know a negative person inflicting something on us we like that can massively impact our perception but but yeah, it's all, all links together.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I hope the listeners are enjoying this conversation already. But I would like you to paint the picture now from a football industry standpoint. I'm going to give you the hint, starting at Adidas and working your way to where you currently are, because you put your seatbelts on, everybody. You're in for a fun ride here of Dan's career journey. But if you could just paint the picture, that would be amazing.
1: I shall do my best. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so so again, that first in, in, um, experience working with brands, so so Adidas and Reebok in particular, we used to send out um, marketing reps to the stores to train up the staff on the latest technology, so and set some incentive programs for the staff. And I remember distinctly, um, especially the Reebok rep, um, not because of the brand necessarily, but it was just a, a really cool guy, <laughs> head to toe in brand, like the biggest, you know, old school air pumps. Uh, the the, the tennis pumps, uh, branded car, just driving around talking sport. And I, I sort of said to him at that age, how can I get your job? <laughs> how, how did you get to where you are? Um, and that was one thing that that started. So then Adidas was my favorite brand of all. Um, again, being a footballer, especially, I could relate to that. And I spoke some of the language already from an early age. We had family living over in Germany. So I, I, I used to enjoy that. And I thought... Uh, that's the only place I want to do my internship. So during my studies, I only wrote to Adidas. Um, I sent one very intense letter and followed up with a couple of phone calls. And it was a course that they'd never worked with before. They didn't know our university um, at Bournemouth. And fortunately, yeah, the right person in there kind of saw my application and and invited me to interviews. And I and I got the opportunity. So instead of just doing a a six month internship, I did a whole year out in Germany. Um, and it was just the most mind-blowing, like open-mindedness opportunity of, of my life, which then connected me to so many amazing people that I'm still close friends with today.
0: Time out. Um, We've got your time yeah. out here. On that experience, on other listeners who want to enter in the sports industry, I want to decode this from certainly by the power of being persistent in the direction on go. Can we just dig into that? You've already given the clues of you did that real detailed letter with the the key for me was the two follow-up calls because you didn't just hope for the best you wanted to be persistent that's number one number two is the power of having a language like learning german how does that give you um an asset to add value the reason i say this you sparked to matt rogan who did languages at university and then he created two circles uh which is data and i just want people listening with degrees you don't have to always be one-dimensional if you do, let's say, languages or other like degrees, you can transfer into the sports industry. So I've said quite a lot there, but I think it's so relevant to this part. Could you just fill in the gaps of what I've just said from your experience of that period, just for young people who want to enter in the sports industry?
1: Absolutely. Um, So first of all, with my specific case, um, I was by no means fluent, by the way, as well. So starting a language is not about perfecting a language starting a language for me is the ability to engage it's those first 5 10 seconds what people might say in a some people might perceive as an elevator pitch you can actually use as a simple introduction or a or a greeting or bringing someone into your circle again i'm i'm with 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 what you've just mentioned um, and so, yeah, I, again, I wasn't fluent, but I just said enough to kind of ease the intro, and and then everyone speaks English. I knew anyway because it's the headquarters of a, a global multinational company where English is the first language. So, yeah, the, the majority of it went on into English, but it just opened up that that flow, and especially being English, if there's British people um, listening in and and relating to this, we are notoriously lazy. And we need to change that as a as a humankind, because it's easy to go everywhere and speak English. And most people want to speak English, but just having that one or two lines and then being able to interject and follow a flow of a conversation with two people that are speaking in their language and not have to ask them to translate everything. It just goes so far to building relationships and empathy um, that, that ultimately cuts through. So. Don't know if that answered what you were saying.
0: It did. Uh, but during that one year, just to dig deeper yeah. this one segment, when you were in Germany for that one year with Adidas, how did how did you make sure you capitalise on that opportunity? Because you were there for a fair few years. So I'm just curious of you got your foot in the door, as that common term is. How did you approach that first year from like say a career development standpoint at that point? To be very honest
1: with you, I wasn't thinking at all beyond um i was just immersed in the moment and and that's one another thing that i come on to is the is energy and focus or time and attention that's two words that i use a lot when it comes to relationship building give yourself time and attention to those you care about or anything that you're doing and you will find success and for me it was about engaging with people understanding people from different parts of the world making some incredible friends um I had so many ideas. I, I don't know how many, I, sh- I should try and find some old notes, but I was writing not business plans per se, but certainly, you know, one pages on so many ideas during that year. Um, so it just provoked so much and, and brought the best out of me that I knew I was going to follow up and and get back into the sport industry as a result.
0: And with regards to your time at Adidas, I'm sticking to this route because it said, I think on your LinkedIn, strategic marketing. And I'm just curious of during your time there, what? How would you define strategic marketing, which you applied at Adidas, but still relevant to this day? I'm just curious of the marketing angle of what you enjoyed the most from that sort of niche component yeah. of the business. There. This was also crazy, and this, and again, I,
1: very hard to relate to. I think for people starting out, because timing is everything, and sometimes you just don't know what's around the corner. So, this what actually happened was when I applied. Um, they wanted me in, but there was a brand new department. The strategic marketing department was brand new. It was just being set up by one American guy who was was over there. So there was literally this guy, Paul, and the board. Um, And then beneath that was the whole uh, marketing team and and market research and much more. So um, I had six months of it with, with Paul on strategic marketing. So brand new, but there was literally me, him, and the board of directors. So we were... Basically a, a conduit between the whole all of the, the product lines and all of the strat all of the departments and the budget setting for the global business of Adidas. Um so yeah, I was privy to budget templates, to marketing strategy. We just launched at that, that time as well, the Impossible is nothing campaign. So seeing how a you know how you translate a, a global vision into multi-territory and how you empower local territories to to improvise with that and do it in in their own way. I mean, so much of this I know we want to come on and talk about is exactly what I've basically taken on and, and thought we could do this with actual sport and not just a brand and not just a product here. We can do this in so many more different ways.
0: Dan, just from an internal standpoint, I'm going into communication now. From that one experience with yourself, Paul, and then the board of directors, what did you learn from that communication Standpoint of how you communicating with Paul, and then the communication with board so directors. There's not many people starting out get that experience right from the get go, and I'm just curious of so people listening and what you learnt from that communication standpoint. I'm just fascinated. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, again, I'll keep it as simple as I can. The importance, of, the importance of listening, is what I learned. Um, it's I saw a lot of people, and I still meet a lot of people in sport with immense ego with immense opportunity to sort of talk their own game and be like the one that did this and I did that. And I look like nobody cares is my big message here. Nobody actually cares. People want to live a good life. They want to earn some money to pay the bills and they want to have a holiday. And when you can listen and empathize and understand that, then you don't you don't fight for attention, and you can actually engage better relationships and build stronger relationships with with comrades and people around you. So for me, you know, again, a language, all the directors were German back then as well. So it was like Paul doing everything in German and me just listening. So I was kind of, it was kind of forced, you could say, <laughs> um, in that scenario. But it was um It was just so eye-opening to to then see the response that I got when I could contribute. and I just waited my time and I didn't have to push for that. Paul was amazingly encouraging and and pushed me forward as well at times. So it's about having the right people around you, but yeah, not not pretending to know it all and being very humble about that and saying, do you know what? Yeah, I'm not sure or give me some time. It's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable, basically.
0: Okay, you sparked it now because I know we had this on a WhatsApp call about ego in the football industry. I want to dig into this because this is so important. I'm just, I've always said this to people, but what's the difference between ego and then just being confident in your ability? Because I think there's there's always that fine line, but I get your point of what you said that nobody cares and everybody wants to win. I'm all about, we. I think we've both got the alignment. Everything's about win-win in business and situations. I'm just curious of, that balance of confidence with the ego side, which you mentioned. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, well, for, I
0: mean, mainly ego is a, a
1: weird word, isn't it? It's not because <laughs> everyone has got an ego, and, and I think that's that's said a lot. Everyone has an ego on various levels and various capacities. So um I think what I refer to in that scenario is more the arrogance of ego versus the confidence of ego. Um so yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of Arrogance, but contentment in sport. I'm I'm not afraid to say things like this. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of high-powered positions um people who are just comfortable. Fair enough, a lot of them have worked their way to there, but there's also a lot that have had some benefits to to progress up the ladder. And therefore they're less risk-taking, they're less open to new ideas because they're just kind of content and often the barrier they put up i feel is one of arrogance because it's easier to put a wall up and deflect things rather than listen and and try and develop you know it's it's a it's a worry of of change so confidence however is a totally different thing so going out there with confidence and integrity uh, i think as long as you have integrity with confidence people will see that and they'll bounce off of that immediately and they'll be open arms to you so how you come across in that tone and uh, yeah, you know, arrogance versus integrity around ego is is enormous.
0: Would you also say I'm digging deep here because you're testing me now, my development, I've learned it's also being humble and mindful and that listening component as well. I just want to hear your thoughts because for me, I think when you go in a room, let's say in a meeting or anything, and you come across being humble and mindful, you're actually showing that bit of vulnerability your end to build trust with the other part you know the other people in the room i'm just curious because i'm digging here because i want the listeners to go well how do i know i mean you know very ego in that particular moment and i think when you go in a might mind- humble mindset really the ego will disappear because you're grounded by listening to all parties i'm digging deeper i'm just curious i think it's important this point
1: yes no, no hum- humble humble absolutely I mean it's, a, it's an idealistic word to be humble I think you you can't really teach that and then if you try too hard it's annoying as heck like nobody and I and I'm one of those people sometimes you know you apologize for everything you you're, you're like you're worried about you're worried too much about other people um, it, there is all of this is just it is a balance
0: a fine line I think it's like I think for me, what I'm trying to teach listeners is all this. This is where soft skills are important. I think, um, but I think the ego bit I want to share because for me, it's a component that we we don't look at things strategically. We go with emotion with our decisions, and that's where for me, I think if we drop down the ego, we could get so much more done in an effective manner. So, yeah, carry on. Being eager to learn and genuinely
1: having the time and attention for the people you're talking to is all you need to think of, in my opinion. So it's not about, am I being humble? Am I being arrogant? Am I being confident? Showing interest, genuine interest in other people and their stories and their experiences will automatically allow humbleness to come because you're not going to talk so much, first of all. (laughs) Um, and you're going to absorb what they're saying and if you can in the the exact same way that you're relating to things I'm saying on the spot I know we had a whole different pathway of questions earlier but you know this is about the moment and it's about connection and and if you can draw that connection in, in the moment and and really mean it and not so you know not look around the room over your shoulder at others you're you're engaged and you're you genuinely want to learn from these people, then they're going to, at very least, invite you for a cup of coffee and they're going to, at very least, want to learn more about you when the time comes. Um, and it might not be there and then, but they'll remember you because you're the one that didn't inflict yourself on them. And, yeah.
0: now let's go back to the sort of marketing route because I do want the young marketers to learn from you on this side reflect from your marketing career journey and we've got more to cover everybody from the career journey but reflecting what qualities have supported you not just at Adidas but how you look at sports marketing in general oh yeah again lots of it can draw in so many
1: ways how I approach things um, in general is First of all, scalability. So I'm I'm someone that instantly thinks: Is this has this got the potential to be in more than one country? So and it's good and bad because I can't really start on something really small. I, I I do sometimes, but I'm always like, okay, is this scalable? And if not, I might park it and and keep coming back to it. I never put pressure on myself as well. Um, that's another thing that I see a lot of startups, especially but companies rushing to do things. Um, so the Adidas cycle was another one, which you can, I, I always put it in line with the world cup cycle. It's a four year thing. You know, they're already doing the the marketing plans and the trade plans and the designing for, for, you know, four years from now. So the world cup in 2026 is, is already pretty much signed and sealed. I'm certain the, the ball that are going to use and, and all of that. So having that lead time is key so that you can prepare properly and you can get everyone engaged and, and empowered in the business. Um, yeah, they're, they're certainly some of the, the the key. Yeah. Scalability I think is is the first thing. And I think now that the biggest trend I see is of, well, not I, <laughs> the world sees is the speed of the market, right? So now we're, we're a touch of a button to communicate our message. We don't need to wait for big, outdoor campaigns to kick off to tell a message you can you can really communicate from a small channel you don't have to have millions of followers to go viral you can have if you've got the right message and the right community and the you know the timing is correct as well and the colors you wear in a video things can explode and your message can transform instantly now so that's the bit i mean it's Ridiculous! Twenty years ago, what was happening? You know the, the the slowness of that compared to what it is now.
0: I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one part of marketing because I, I love what you've just said there. One, I'm grateful for that cycle mindset, which I think is really important because sometimes with marketing you just think put it all out there, hope for the best, and actually having that cycle gives structure. But I'm just curious now, from your experience over like the last, you know, from Adidas to where you are now, with regards to authority, attention, and audience, those three components of marketing, how do you think that's influenced? the sports industry in particular or, or football marketing, I'm just curious because like you said now, with social media, which is if we go back eight years ago, where it is now is unbelievable with the rapid speed of technology. But with those three A's, should we say, how is that influencing change in how we look at sports marketing now, then your experience over the last, you know, fifteen years? I'm just curious.
1: It's everything. I mean, it's completely transformed because finally now, what this means is where where it was always traditionally market research. Let's say, let's get feedback from the market. Now, the word authenticity, which I do think personally is overused, but authenticity is just the allow allowing people to tell their story and their version, their time in their language in their way um, means you don't have to again, spend, you know, retain ridiculously sized agencies to go and do market research campaigns when it's out there, right? So, um, yeah, I think authenticity is just about being human and being real. And that's hard. Again, that's a, that's another subject in itself. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fakeness on, on social as well, because people will pretend to be something else. But again, if you go back, if you look into all of it, if you look into every single person, every influencer or whatever you want you can see in their eyes if you really spend the time on it um, who's being genuine and who's not and you look at the you know the relationship they have with their fans and followers Um, and then in football you know it's the the athlete's voice is real now it's it's not about waiting for the well it's dangerous of course because the manager needs some control over the team for success in in football But, um, but yeah it's a it's you know, individual machines now. It's not one one power over riding everything.
0: Yeah, I know there's this word AI that's crypted to our world now with regards to the automation of things. But last thing on the marketing side, how have you adapted as a marketer in the sports industry as well? Absolutely same tech techniques.
1: I've just listened and I've learned and I've dived in. So most recently in twenty twenty in lockdown was my I was the the lockdown generation of immersing myself in web three and and the the crypto space to understand what that was because I had the time and um and the curiosity to to dive in so literally it's one of the main things again I'm sure we'll come on to that that I've wanted to write about and to to pass on to as many people as I can is understanding first of all what you're curious about because that's something curiosity is a word that people just forget now. And it's uh, I know with, with Lucy Mills who had a a podcast around this as well. And she's, she's a brilliant example of, of all of this is diving, you know, understanding your curiosities and then figuring out how to feed them um, is a massive thing. So, so yeah, that's, that's how I do it. I, I I'm very aware constantly of things that trigger me and I write them down. I might not come back to them for the while, but, I will immerse myself in them at the right time and keep learning.
0: 100%. Shout out to Lucid Mills. It's awesome that we're doing this. And, you know, we will touch on the, you know, Ready in regards to, you know, Web3 because they're doing phenomenal work there. I need to go back to your career journey now because we haven't even talked about like your freestyle journey. Could you just paint the picture there? Because this is important to me personally because I loved, because this is relating to any sports scholars who do policy and want to work in association can you just paint the picture of this side, like the transition of Adidas to then getting into freestyle football? Definitely. So um,
1: so as an interlude, I did a number of the other jobs in between. By the way, I was in some agencies in London, but then I was constantly bored, mainly because my mindset was already like I want my own thing. I just don't know what. Um, I then saw advertise the exact job that I mentioned way back at the beginning. So the Reebok rep that I asked how to get your job, I saw it advertised. Um, it was half the salary that I was earning in, in London at the time, but it was the job I had to do just to tick that box off. So I moved up to to Lancaster and then Leeds for them for six months and did the exact role that I, that I meant. So that was amazing. Um, and then during that time, so after six months, I was bored <laughs> again, and I met up with an old friend of mine from school who um, was a skills coach at Leeds United and Bradford City at the time. Um, and he'd he'd created a, a development program, an athlete development program, accelerating learning at street level. So fusing music and dance with street football, and um, and I thought, oh, this is cool. <laughs> it was the exact time I was driving up the motorway to Leeds at the time, and I remember an, an art another um, ra- radio broadcast about the mechanical st- static nature of the British the English football team and how nothing's changing and there's no confidence on the ball and i went to his house and saw this i was like oh this is this is great let's let's go for it and we literally just packed up our things within 2 months um moved back to somerset where we're from and opened up uh, some small academies down there so some coaching academies for kids to to learn their skills i'll miss out loads just to speed this up but basically what happened is um we my father being an entrepreneur carpenter at the time as well he created for us a 3 versus 3 what was Nike Joga Bonita style football court, which we could pack in the back of a van and drive to any neighborhood, any car park and create this kind of zone for street soccer. Um, So we started doing events. We started working with local councils on diversion techniques to get kids off the streets and into employment or into education. we had Edgar Davids and his teams in Holland flew over to meet us. We had Brian Laudrup in Denmark coming over to do similar things. It was like all inbound. It was the most amazing time. And again, timing was everything. It was just finding something new. Um, but the freestylers started coming to our events. And and the, the athletes then were just, I mean, they are still, you know, I would don't want to brand them all this, but you could say street influence kids. Um, who didn't do it for any real big purpose other than hopefully getting a Nike commercial to do, you know, to get paid to do some, some some skills in a show or do some street shows to earn some money. But a lot of them were students. A lot of them were were young people just wanting to express themselves with a the ball. And boys, girls alike, exactly the same level playing field. And they were just the most amazing people that I've to this day ever met as a community. They were you know, just so humble, so down to earth, so genuinely passionate about the ball and their self-expression. Um, The creativity that I saw firsthand, you know, seeing how a ball, how many balls, how many ways a ball can spin with just your hand or just your foot. I was just like, this is phenomenal. But they had no structure and they had no support. So with my marketing brain on, of course, the first thing was, okay, let me help you. I didn't want to be an agent. I knew very clearly I was never interested in in agency kind of work, but I got how to market them. So promoted them out to some uh, brands and agencies. Some of them got some jobs. I would 90% of the time just forward it on to them so they can manage it, but sometimes manage a a campaign if it was a bigger project. And at the same time, then uh, Red Bull in 2007, they burst into the scene. With a competition that they created called Street Style, and it was essentially battles with freestylers, so one versus one, a three-minute battle with a judging panel of um, looking at creativity and style and control. Um, but what they did—that I mean—it was amazing. So first of all, they—they've been a huge part of of this whole pro- development of what I've been involved in. Um, but what they did, two things at the very start. One was they used the image of an athlete, of a freestyler, without any credit or any benefit going to him. And it, he was actually the UK champion back then in 2003. He won a, a Nike freestyle competition in front of, out of 50,000 people. And um, so he was really pissed, obviously. He, he was not happy. Um, and the community were. They were like, this isn't cool, but okay, it's a nice event and then they created the rules themselves as well so they wrote the the system and again they were brilliant for what they were but the athletes they it wasn't freestyle it wasn't pure freestyle let's say it wasn't a, how they were training um for example looking more at style and control rather than the difficulty of the tricks was one obvious like thing so yeah I listened to the freestylers I was listening to all of this going on and I was like well why don't you do something like why why, why don't you have a a, a say in this in the future um and no one got it no one understood but and i didn't really know what all i all i saw was this is a powerful skill set to have and my what if was what if we could talk about um life skills through your skills so when when you've got the attention that already back then on social but especially live you get what if we could talk about bullying what if we could talk about nutrition um various other projects like that so we went into schools and we did exactly that um but then there was clearly this need for more and the athletes wanted this to become more of a sport as well as an art and um so yeah that that, that was the the trigger to say okay let's create a movement now where you create the rules and that's how I started I just got 26 of the athletes that I'd befriended over those years together um from 26 different countries I'll add because again my mindset was instantly this can't be just yeah. So it was it was 26 kids from 26 countries. Um and they all basically just joined this this network as it was. It was one of the first, it wasn't a social media channel, it was like a, a community channel, you could say. Um, and we just brainstormed, we just threw ideas around, we created essentially a, a rules and a and a plan for running a world championships. Um, and I just carried on talking in the market to friends and family and people and and that's that was
0: yeah that's how it all started. Amazing I've got to decode a few things I think it's important bearing in mind we're talking like you know mid-2000s how have you seen reflecting because it's used a lot like football can be a tool for good but could you just dig deep of how really this did get so you said kids off the street or getting them in environments where they can thrive and elevate their skill sets to other things other walks of life i just want to tap into that because for me it's a great case study but also from an educational piece i think it's vital that sport doesn't always have to have two goalposts uh to make you be part of a sport it can be as you say an art or expressing yourself from a communication standpoint so i just want to dig deep on that first point if that makes sense from that experience definitely
1: um i think the on one level, first of all, team sport can be quite restrictive. Um, so in traditional education, we're all brought up playing usually football, rugby, okay, tennis and some sports as well, but team sports predominantly. And and what that does and what that's, I've seen over the last 15 years especially is a lack of patience from educators because there's so many kids, first of all, and so many kids that don't fit into the norm as it was in the in decades past um, they don't know how to deal with them so basically you either don't do any sport therefore or you're told that you're slightly different maybe you've got ADHD because you've got too much energy or you're, you're autistic so you can't play in this team sport so those two things in particular stood out to me I was like that's not right again it's time and attention you need to understand that everybody has got different spans of attention and different interests so Um, So, yes, working through this and freestyle has become such a powerful tool for that and street football, because A, you can turn up on your own or with friends. So there's no discrimination of either. You represent your best version of yourself. Um, And through doing that, you're actively engaging the attention span of everyone around you. So we had people coming in that didn't like a ball at all but loved the music and could jump on the decks and and DJ or learn to DJ with them. We had people that would just dance because they would feel the music and and want to express themselves that way. So we didn't, we created a safe space really for them to um, feel at one and feel that they could express themselves. And the follow on effect was, you know, those kids were the ones that were causing trouble that didn't want to go to school, that were taking drugs to and, and drinking in the streets and, And no, but because nobody was listening to them, simple as that. So I I found that we created an environment that would allow listening. And then what we could do with that captive attention is say, right, let's incentivize this. Now, if you're going to school, you know, consistently for this term and the reports approving it, then you're going to have access to the AC Milan camp this summer or something like that. So it was all about like feeding one subject to the next and from a place of just welcoming and, and belonging that, that everyone could feel they could be themselves.
0: The second component of the freestyle I want to talk is that policy angle, like you said you set up the association, um, you said you were figuring it out along the way but could you just from any policy makers listening like reflecting how has that made an impact now of them having their voice, just a bit like a player association but it, this in this case it's freestylers. So. I'm. Just, I would just like to hear your thoughts by setting that up. How has it made things more professional as its own identity sport? The honest, honest answer is we
1: are we are literally still trying to become professional. <laughs> so there's there is no. So what what happened was uh, the trigger. First of all, was I found a partner in Malaysia to back the the Ministry of Youth and Sports saw the the education angle here and was like we want to host the World Championships and be the first. Country to do this, so they backed the first world champs in 2011, and that call to action made me go, "crap, we need an association." <laughs> so, because literally, so kind of retrospectively, what we did was incorporate a not-for-profit organization in the UK at the time. Um, created the statutes, which a lot of them were were very generic. It was just talking about the the fact that there's not it's a not-for-profit organization certain heads of countries who are going to co-decide on any of the big rule changes in the future of the sport but all of it was very fluid it was really about getting a, a statutes in place getting the registration in place and having a vehicle an identity to move forward with then the the idea of where this all started really started and and it's only now this year thanks to technology and again we'll come on to this that We've actually seen the real way that this can actually happen now. So the goal was decentralization. It was about what if the athletes own the sport? Um, And so to get there, however, it's near impossible to decentralize everything. Like anyone who can do this purely and anyone in the Web3 space with DAOs will know especially um, that, that the idealism is phenomenal. But when you put every single person on an equal decision making field, it's chaos at the same time. You need to have some structure. And so what we realized very quickly was we need integrity at the core. So first and foremost, there's a, there has to be a vision. There has to be visionaries involved in order to get stuff going. And when they're doing this with integrity and not for personal gain or profit or, or anything else, this is about community, then quicker decisions can happen in the short term in order to get us in the into the policy stages, right? So now we're at this phase where it's like, okay, anti-doping policies and stuff that we'd never thought we'd actually be looking at um, are, are accepted by the community and being co-written by the community because they know that actually in nine years, we've got a chance to be an Olympic sport. And this this could blow the mind of every young athlete coming through the system. So they want to be part of that. Whereas 10 years ago, They'd be like, why on earth are we going to write an anti-doping policy? There's no logic. I don't understand what you're talking about. So we had to just, you know, take the initiative with um, some core leaders. Again, not even the 26. To be honest, we've got seven that sit on like a central board, as as you could say, that have just been in the sport for 15 plus years and know everything about it. So they've just invested their life into this as volunteers because they see the vision of, of helping as many people in the community as possible. Um, And then the next tier down, there's now 115 people that are leading countries around the world who chip in on all of the different policies uh, as and when. And then the athletes as well can vote on as much as they want to. But what we've also found, sorry to keep talking, but what we've also found is that genuinely, whilst it's an idealism, 80 percent, 70 percent, let's say, of of the community just want to play. And that's cool because that's what sport is about. We just people forget this. Yeah, it's just just enjoy Like, If you just want to go and compete and play, carry on. But know that you've got a voice here that actually can make a difference and not just be a, a tick box union on the side that doesn't actually affect the rules of the, the competition.
0: I love this. And this is what I mean. Professionalism, it's more having that structure in place, which you explain so, so well. And you've mentioned this word a few times, and it's one of my core values when I decided to pursue in the sports I actually wrote them down integrity could you define what you mean integrity relating to what you said throughout this conversation but also why integrity is important when working in the football industry what's your definition of integrity relating to your experience
1: integrity for me is acting on your values so you your values i wouldn't i personally wouldn't have it as a as a value it's an action for me so when i work with integrity um i mean what i say and i and i action it immediately and i and putting the, usually the thoughts of others first. And so, yeah, that, that time and attention, the listening piece is is integral to that. Um, yeah, that's how I'd, I'd summarize it.
0: No, I love it. No, it's good. Like, for me, it's the opposite. I, I have that. You are right. It's the action. I love that point, without a doubt. For me, it, it, I have to check in with integrity to make sure it leads to the action of the right move, which I'm so glad you said it's an action piece. So
1: I think it's softer just just about on that sorry a softer way of feeling about integrity actually yeah, yeah you can say integrity is your gut feeling but when you know deep down that something feels a bit off or you don't feel comfortable with yourself because you said something in a certain way you know you've not performed with integrity so when you are thriving when you're bouncing off the rooms with excitement of of what you're doing and what you're saying what you're getting out of the people around you you know that you're acting with integrity, and you don't need to second guess it, you need to just trust that, that instinct
0: that you have. 100%. See, look, everybody, I knew you'd enjoy this conversation. And now we're going to talk about today's podcast topic, because it links so well, with regards to like, um, Dan's entrepreneurial journey here. So today's podcast topic is, what are the benefits of creative thinking, particularly in the football industry, like paint the picture on this point? Wow, it's huge, isn't it?
1: There's too many there's too many. <laughs> if I was to start with a headliner for this, it's I see a lot of copy paste in the football industry, and that's mainly because of the aspiration the now that's been set so high in the industry. People, it's such a booming thing. Um, whether you want to go the professional playing side, and you look at the, the transfer fees and the the you know the activities and the opportunities that are being presented to footballers now. Um, but but the whole structure of the sport as well, you know, you've got new amazing small clubs starting but making massive headlines. So suddenly you can you're empowered to think, well, maybe I can set up a club. Um, and maybe I can start a channel and be a media partner for the, my favorite club. And so I think creative thinking has come to the forefront because everything's so fast and so accessible now, and the aspiration, as I said, is so high on, in terms of the size of the industry billions of people watching around the world um i always say this actually in a lot of my my face-to-face teaching that i do is there's you know non-football related but over eight billion people in the planet and literally no two are the same and we have to keep remembering that so in terms of opportunity you know even you could say one can of red bull or one champions league football is not the right product for a big number of people. It's, it's, they sell a lot, but <laughs> but it's not going to solve everyone's problems, right? So there are so many ways to work around football um, when you can unlock that way of creatively thinking about the industry that you see. If you take it at face value and you just turn up to the, the pitch on, the, on a Saturday or Sunday and watch the game or play the game, um, you'll enjoy it. That's cool. But you'll always just take it as a as a product you know, the sky there's no sky limit to um to what your brain will go into.
0: <laughs> We're gonna decode this a little bit with regards to creative thinking with from a football perspective, is it basically having a bird's eye view? So imagine you're a bird looking down at a pitch and using that as your creative thinking of how to improve that side of things. So you said it was copy and paste, right? So I just wanna again the listener go, okay, I, I know what Dan said, but how can I unlock my creative thinking so it's personalized maybe a bit more authentic in whatever their projects are just paint the picture because i get what you're saying it's more the how i'm just from an application standpoint that's why i said the bird's eye view um definitely
1: so no first of all is my answer to that actually because i think the bird's eye view is the traditional view if you look up down I think if you look down just over what's there, you're only gonna see what's there. What you need to do is to dive in and get into the roots of what you see from there. So how I do this, and this is a little exclusive nugget for you for um, so within one of the modules, for example, on my on my course online at the moment, is, um, is diving into and feeding curiosities. Um and, and how to exactly do that. So you're we are all curious about something. And most of us who are interested in football, in particular, will usually just say, I'm interested in football. But as soon as you, that's the bird's eye, right? So you're looking up and you're saying, yeah, I love football. I love the industry. I love my team. I love the league. But actually, there's so much more when you stop and think. And we don't have the time to stop and think usually because we just take things at face value. So I like to challenge and go, right, so let's get into the roots of some of the things that you're really that you're curious about, not that you're passionate about. So what, what have you been intrigued by, but not quite mastered or understand? And again, having the humility maybe to understand that. So you don't know everything. So for me, it's, it's something that in 2017, uh, when I was setting up the, the Brentford Penguins Club for, for kids with Down syndrome with my friend Alan in, um, in Ealing, we, we sat in a pub talking about his ideas. And one of the things that's always stuck to me was like, I'm just fascinated. He said to me, I'm just fascinated by how the role of the number 10 has just evolved so rapidly in the last 20 years. And, and that stuck always in my memory. So, yeah, he loves watching and analyzing the game of football. But he's curious about how the number 10 role has evolved over the last 20 years from the playmaker to now being, you know, centre forward almost in some cases and others. And, and that comes from being curious about a hero or being curious about being a manager in a game or whatever. Um, so I think when you can start with deep curiosities, basically from the root up, and it's the the more specific, the better. My own personal example, I guess, would be freestyle football. In the, in the scheme of the football industry, nobody saw anything than potentially sometimes someone doing keepyuppies at halftime in a football game and thought oh it's nice entertainment I homed in on that community and that was my deep curiosity was the the culture and the lifestyle of freestyle footballers and I just immersed myself in that and I spent every late waking day just reading researching talking listening um, and like I said immersing myself into that culture so so what I try and provoke is saying, go root up on something as small as you possibly can and become the master of that. Because when you... The niching down is that businessy term, but 100%. I want that
0: to... Yep. So I just want to clarify. So then, because then
1: what happens is you... It all branches out, right? So there's not... You don't just... Any subjects, so I would question it, I would encourage anyone to challenge this. You give me a, a, a subject of, of specificity... specificity. <laughs> can't speak this morning um and and you can draw the trail up from that point when you're immersing yourself into it listen to podcasts what read articles read books read any, anything that's free freely available um and see where it takes you and some of them lead to a dead end and you realize yeah actually I'm not b- bothered about that and then you go back to the next one that's fine, but others though freestyle again for me took me on this journey where I ended up at the world Cup finals or the champions League finals or mainstream football became open to me as as a result of focusing in on something really 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 small and unheard of still to this day in many many walks of life
0: well 100 i'm grateful (laughs) and could you just talk a little bit about this new course you've done and really your vision behind it because i know it's not just people in the football industry it's actually entrepreneurs so yeah just if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of bit more about this course that'd be great yeah yeah definitely
1: so um yeah it's a short course um that is all online and um the 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 call to action for me first of all was i've worked a lot now in education especially over the last five six years and um and some of the frustrations for me were a um the employability and readiness for industry that i see is is lacking everywhere in the world not just in football People are just taking, oh, let's let me do a master's degree in something because then I can get a job. And no one's really equipping them for the real world. And so I've always tried to mentor rather than teach and, and get people into this mindset of creative thinking, but, but so much more as well. So I wanted to package up that to make something that is translatable and, and adaptable for anyone um, to get into industry. And then, and then it's really playing on those key words that I've mentioned throughout here. So curiosity is a is a huge and powerful thing that people don't have anymore (laughs) on a mass scale so trying to unlock that um learning from failure I have failed so much over the years it's brilliant um so really understand
0: dig deep on that because you said to me on a whatsapp call I hope you don't be saying this but you said you've done like 14 you know businesses like startups and I can tell with your body language that you don't look at failure you probably look at it as more learning but I'm just curious of that part because I think I want a lot of people to be fearless but that's easy said than done
1: it really is easy
0: said than done yeah I
1: I was let's say young enough and stupid enough when I first got my first credit card to realize that I could you know bankroll a startup business without having to wait for anyone else so um so yeah that you know age and and, um economics around you where you're living your environment is is critical to a lot of this so take it with a pinch of salt of course but um, yeah, to, to answer that, so yeah, I've gone through two bankruptcies, liquidated a couple of companies, um, we've had fraud attempts upon us already in the sport, we've had, um, God, where, where else, set up, yeah, 14 different companies now, from charities to agencies to a governing body, um, yeah, just been involved in so many life cycles of of companies, and then working with major brands and rights holders as well, and seeing... Even on that level, you know, the macro level of what we think is the most powerful sport in the world, there's so many mess ups happening every month. Trial error constantly um, from rules of the game to new products being inserted to technology to, you know, you name it. There is so much. So it's really having the confidence to realize that nobody and nothing is perfect is is what I want to try and instill through this course and through other things
0: as well. All about progress. That's relating to my experience. I'm just saying, I don't know your thoughts. (laughs) Awesome. Progress.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it all leads as well. The the amount of people that I met 10 years ago, haven't spoken to in eight years and come out of the blue. Oh, I'm ready to do something now with you. I'm like, Cool. This is why you never leave a sour taste everywhere you go. So so really understanding, that's another big component, actually. One whole section is around network growth. So how do you grow a network? How do you grow your influence in the industry without being a needy, annoying person? <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Can we can we touch on that? And I want to be so real. I'm not joking, but I've known Dan online for years. I mean, certainly nearly seven years. And it was Donna DeHaan, who I did a webinar with, three years ago who put tagged me in one of Dan's posts. This is so true. And I went, boom. It's the first time there's like real connectivity because but if you look at both our networks, really similar people, like we've mentioned Lucy already. I know you've been part of Ready. Um I did that course by the way. So I've seen X as well. Um and like FBA with Dorian and Christian. So Honestly, when there's alignment, and, and I agree, I think when you've got that alignment, this is like such a, you said about timing, but I don't want to wait another eight years, Dan, I'm just saying, but sometimes things happen for a reason, everybody, but could you just touch on the networking side? And for me, it's been quite used a lot on this podcast, like it is about your network, but really relating to your experiences of opportunities, how has the network been a massive asset reflecting from your like career development in general?
1: I mean, now, now it is a massive asset. I've in fairness I mean yeah you know there's there's a lot of people I'm connected to I meet a lot of people all the time um but I've never treated it as an asset that's that's my approach is never to say I need to have a network my focus was always I need to do what I want to do so you know going back to Adidas I wanted I knew I was going to work for them one my my gut was just that's my place and it will take me as long as it will take me to get there um so you know I wasn't presented I didn't know anyone in the companies that I've I've worked to I've just always reached out and been real to myself had that integrity about what I'm doing and not tried to copy what others are, are going in with always thought about how can not, not not necessarily how can I be different but um how can I get the best out of every conversation and the people I think I, I'm so I'm so much about people that I love to see others thrive so when you have that approach you you bring out their curiosity you bring out their vulnerability
0: and then you can talk about that and
1: they feel close to you and you you build relationships that way so
0: there's a phrase I share with my students is be interested in them and they'll be interested in you and I think if you go with that approach and the reason I say asset is from my experience with this podcast due to other podcast special guests being on the show, it makes the connectivity a lot more natural and that's why I meant asset but you've hit it right from the get-go and I want to hit home this point because it's so vital and you said this right from the early days of when you're Adidas with the language and being mindful learning German despite they spoke English how important is building that relationships within your network because you you said like creative thinking is isn't applied enough in the football industry I think at times we forget to always make sure we build those relationships then just have a numbers game or fo- like treating our followers as meaningful connections I think that's two separate in my humble opinion so I have to invest time in my week to make sure I nurture the great relationships I have um, it's like a second job so I'd just love to hear your thoughts throughout your career as well um, on that side of things definitely it's it's making time
1: and attention once again for <laughs> um, for for those first and foremost for those you care about I think what what you can't do, in my opinion, is separate. This sounds controversial, I know, but I I cannot separate personal and work life. I only invite people into my network sphere that I can spend time with, simple as that. And I've learned the hard way through that as well, but I can say that with confidence now. So I won't work with someone that I can't go and have a dinner with. I won't work, I won't spend time at a, a... a birthday party or something with someone that I don't have that gut feeling is, is a good person or or that I, I'm happy with spending my time on. I just value my time and then also how I can get best out of others in, in that way. So, um, yes, it's it's, it's that prioritisation, but also then the realisation that as this grows, um, I don't know, you're set up family-wise, but, you know, my parents are still living in Yeovil in Somerset. I see them probably three times a year dare I say it admit it sorry mum and dad um it's not it's not enough right for compared to many people I know who are immersed totally in their family life which is completely fine but it's a real reality for a lot of people some people don't get to see their family for two years if they live in the other side of the, the world right um so it's that it's trying to balance the reality like your best friends you're not going to see every weekend so Therefore, it's fine to not speak to someone in your network for a couple of months, but then check in. And it's easy to just check in and say, hey, how are you? Not, hey, what have you been doing? And um, can we do something together? How are you? Like, gen- like Show intrigue and interest in them as humans, if you actually care. Um, because if you don't care, they'll see it straight away and
0: then they probably won't respond. <laughs> exactly. The key thing is my what you've just said is not treating your network as a transaction. Whoa. I hope you taking notes, everybody. And Dan, I'm so grateful what you just said there, because it's so, so true. With regards to your career now, like what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now? OK, there's the, I, the, I have a go to.
1: So the best experience I can say that I have was um, was about perspectives. So uh, pretty early on, especially with freestyle, um, perspectives and culture learning uh, in South Africa. So in 2010, I was fortunate. So this is before I set up the the federation, but I was working with some of the athletes. Um, We went down to uh, Johannesburg and was working with Visa to around the World Cup final. So we had a whole hospitality program going on with their VIP guests and guests. and we went in, yeah, you know, we were invited to the box to watch the game with some former former players. And it was just an amazing like experience, first of all. But it was embedded with the context context of working for the whole week in Alexandria, one of the biggest townships in the world. Um so one of the poorest neighborhoods with so much crime, so much, you know, so little opportunity for progression. and uh, we were working with some local youth groups there and teaching a lot of kids the the skills first and foremost, but just linking up and understanding and learning about that culture. Um, so from literally as a slogan I use quite a lot, but from the streets to the stage of uh, of football, that in 2010 was just the most amazing experience for me and the athletes that that came with me. Um, so yeah, that that will always stay with me. That was a, a big welcome to the industry moment.
0: <laughs> just on the spot now, sorry, because now you said something quite meaningful, like the fulfilment aspect from that example i can see it in your body language but is this what really working in the football industry is about those sort of moments from like impact
1: i i don't see i mean it's not if i'm being blunt like it's not for too many people but for me again you've got to look at what football is as a game as a sport as something you can play um as the all the team building benefits and the wellness benefits that we talk about that you know you get from playing any sport, but especially football. Um so yeah, playing and and getting involved at that grassroots level in some way is for me essential for anyone to develop integrity in working sport, <laughs> to to actually understand and have empathy for different dynamics and audience groups in the game. Um, but also then to find opportunity because there's some amazing innovation and creativity that goes on at at grassroots level that, you know, survival. (laughs) People are surviving in so many cases with some amazing tactics and and products, but we don't get to hear about them. We just get the the TV product.
0: 100%. Look, I hope people enjoyed this, but final question from me, Dan, and it's I always finish with an inspirational one and feel free to recap, but What three tips would you give to the listeners to take action? That's the key. They've listened to us for a long time. I need them to take action. What three tips would you give with regards to working in the football industry? What would those three tips be?
1: I am going to say, I'll go go deep on this, but uh, immerse yourself, respect yourself, and find your niche. So immerse yourself, meaning, um, as we just said, play the sport. Do something related to it on a health level, but also that to, to draw some empathy and understand the consumer as well as the the business angle. So play the sport. It, all you need is a ball. Um, you can juggle it if you want to be a free if you want, or you can pass it against a wall or you can find teammates. So immersion in the game, respecting yourself. So that goes back to the networking. Um, so, I mean, when you respect yourself, you don't beg, you listen and you um, give time and attention to others, which in turn will respect yourself. And finding your niche is about curiosity. So develop them. You can do it on your own at home for completely no no money. (laughs) You can go to libraries. There's so many resources available. So find what you're really curious about and and find a niche. Even if you want to be a football agent or a manager on on a macro scale, have something that is pure and niche to you um would be my third one
0: yeah 100 and the one I'm going to add the fourth one is unlock that creativity because that's vital too because that makes you think outside the box so Dan thank you so much for those three I've added the fourth of the creative thinking uh, out of interest how can people interact with you and where's the best place to you know more information about your course like where are the best place is from a social media slash website perspective
1: so nice and simple, hopefully, is um at Danwood9 is my um handle on all channels. Danwood9.com is my website, which has the first short course available right now. Um, yeah, it's only 25 euros. I just want something that's affordable and accessible for as many people as possible. Um, and we've got an amazing network that's building from that now. So everyone who does the course will be invited into a community where there's going to be small grants for people with project ideas in the future and a chance to network and join us on foot golf events and paddle events um, to, to network as well. So yeah, we'd love to, um, You know, I'm, I'm available. So uh, always looking to connect with more people if you, if you want to chat some more.
0: Amazing to all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this amazing podcast chat. Dan, it's been a joy chatting with you. Thank you very much. The pleasure was mine. Thanks Ed. What a fantastic podcast chat with Dan. And honestly, it's conversations like this that remind me why I enjoy rocking the mic. And getting back to today's podcast topic with regards to creative thinking, plus having that curiosity, those two components are such great skills to develop when pursuing a career in the sports industry. Honestly, I'm living proof. Like when I started my podcast show eight years ago, it was curiosity that opened up doors and opened opportunities. And I want to be so real because I really connected what Dan was saying relating to his experience, but also relating to his point of thinking outside the box. It's so important now because with regards to the football industry or sports industry, we're all looking for new ideas to, from a marketing standpoint, create that authenticity, awareness and attention in this busy world, certainly online, But also, like standing out with values and principles. Like, one word that we connect with a lot, Dan and myself, and he mentioned it a few times, is that word integrity. Like, without a doubt, creative thinking with curiosity, with integrity is a real good three ingredients to support you in what you want to do in the sports industry, let alone just the football industry. So, without a doubt, I hope you can apply those components to your sports career development. Because that's what it's all about. Like going back right from the beginning when Dan was had the opportunity to work at Adidas with the really passionate detailed letter with the double sort of phone calls as the follow-up. That's what it takes, is that persistence and putting yourself out there. And that comes through the curiosity, having that creative thinking aspect as these qualities will support you in the long run. It's not just something you learn and it's a tick box component these are skills that develop over time and mature in time as well and how you get better at it. So for me, I really enjoy this for many levels. One that I've known Dan for many years on, as I mentioned in the podcast, like on social media, really admired his work and how he works in the football industry in particular, but also chatting to him just then in the podcast. It's being true to yourself as well. And that ego component in our conversation Without a doubt, I'll re listen to because it's very, very powerful. Like when you get rid of the ego and go with your curiosity, be mindful and be creative with your thinking when adding value to the football industry, that's when opportunities will be created with the meaningful connections you build with people over time, too. So there's all these different components. And if you listen to this podcast again, I know you'll be better prepared when putting yourself out there in the sports industry if you're starting out. If you're already in the sports industry, you're going to really hone your skills even more to that next level in the direction you want to go. So without a doubt, apply this podcast to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Dan said, "Emerge yourself, respect yourself and find your niche.